0: If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast.
1: What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of California Underground. I have with me again, Cynthia, who was nice enough to come on again. It's nice to be back doing a live podcast again. How are you doing tonight, Cynthia?
2: I'm great, Phil. Thank you for having me back.
1: Yeah, so uh, tonight's episode, I found an interview uh, on the Epic Times, and the title of it, Why Was There a Mass Exodus, or Why Is There a Mass Exodus from California? And I thought it was a pretty interesting interview, and I wanted to hold on to it, because he had this guy, I think it's Professor Joel Kotkin, uh, he had some interesting views on why, I mean, I I agree with some of it, but we're going to go through it little by little and and discuss it, um, and I guess we can just hop right into it. and you've watched the video already. Do you have any preliminary thoughts about the interview?
2: Um, I think he's very well knowledgeable on, you know, one, in my personal opinion, one key reason. I have like a, you know, a bull, five bullet points on, you know, reasons why people are leaving California. He's very knowledgeable on one of them. Um, so we'll watch the video. And you, I think people will guess which one of those that is. Um, Mm-hmm. But, you know, same thing. Um, my kind of baseline is there's the only person I agree with hundred percent is myself. Um, but he did bring up some good points that I agree with. And, you know, I think that's important to shed light too.
1: Yeah. All right, so let's hop into it right now. Um, and we'll just pause along the way as we get comments or ideas or stuff we want to chat about.
0: Joel, I'm very excited to talk to you about California and all these policies that are going on. You're an urban policies expert. And I want to learn from you what's happening right now in California.
3: Well, in California, we really have this sort of enormous and growing uh, division between a fairly large, very affluent population, mostly older, and mostly white and Asian, and a another population that's much larger, poorer, heavily um, Hispanic, African-American, and more young. and
1: more. So I'm just going to stop it right there. I'll agree with them on the first point. California is one of the worst when it comes to income inequality. I think they were somewhere around, like if we were our own country, we're somewhere around like Guatemala. Like that's how bad income inequality is in California. So I would agree with them there um, right off the bat. And I mean i don't know if the race thing is is true or not but he seems to be a professor so i'll trust it
2: yeah he um so i know california is like the fifth largest economy too so i think whatever kind of income inequality there is that just kind of puts that issue on a microscope microscope for the state of california um i know the hispanics it's at least 51 percent um i don't know you know the african-american percentage or demographic um you know at the top of my head but we do have a lot of like those um like South Central and a lot of those like urban areas that, you know, have the most income inequality as well that people are most familiar with. Um, Mm -hmm. So whatever kind of, you know, big issues, one of them, you know, being the housing issue and like the high cost of living, which is what, you know, he's going to be going more in detail about. um, I do agree. Like those demographics are impacted the most.
1: Yeah. It's, it's always, um, interesting, especially in a place like San Diego, where it is, you have a lot of affluence in San Diego. I mean, you have big neighborhoods like La Jolla and North County. And then like, you could be walking down the street and just see like the complete difference of, you know, homeless on the streets. Um, Or you can just drive down to a different neighborhood in San Diego and go from, you know, Mitt Romney's mansion to, you know, Barrio Logan in 20 minutes on the five. And it's like a whole different world. So it is, That is pretty interesting. I think he nails it on the head right there. So we will keep going. Or young. And this division is just taking
3: further, taking the state further and further away from the ideal of the California dream, which is here's a place you could go and you could reinvent yourself no matter what your background. And you could eventually own a house, raise a family. That whole ideal of California, which was so persuasive in the 40s and 50s and uh, 60s, and really well into the 70s, um,
1: has almost completely disappeared. So I'm not native-born California. Are you native-born California? I am. So as as someone who, who grew up on the East Coast, there was always this mythical feeling about California. It was always that go West young man. It was always this like this idealized version of California we all had in our mind that it was, it was beautiful. It was the land of like opportunity. You went out there like people went out to California to like follow their dreams, to strike it rich. It had that. And I think maybe like, that has that ingrained feeling from the gold rush days where people would travel West to California. Cause they're like, I'm going to go strike gold and, and make it rich in California. And that kind of per, I feel like that kind of was around for, A long time up until recently. Um, But I I don't think that's there anymore. I don't think people willingly get up and go, I'm going to go to California because that's where I know I can strike it rich and and make it.
2: I agree with you 100%. For me personally, like, you know, that issue of, you know, the California dream, it was something that I had to like come to grips with as well. Um, You know, I was listening to like an interview when someone was discussing about, you know, California has a great mixture it has like a lot of urban areas but you know I also argue it's beautiful because you know you could travel a few hours and you can be in like the snow or you could be in the desert or you could be you know by the coast and by the beach so I think California is a beautiful state because it has like literally everything that any that you know has to offer you know for anyone that wants to live in a particular area um, and so when I was watching this interview, you know, someone was pointing out how it's very interesting like even people that are like international or like out of state like how they view like those big more infamous states like New York and California, like how people think like those are like the places to be even though they have like the most egregious and you know, very limiting policies, you know, and by that definition, you know, it's impacting the the cost of living and the state of living, you know, the most negatively. Um mm-hmm and there's a lot of you know theories about that you know like it's cultural maybe at some point you know that used to be treat, true and now it's not um and so like for me like i the paradigm shift i had last year when i you know really studied this and came to grips with it was you know i had like that that natural conservative mindset of, like you know no matter what happens or no matter what like don't be a victim and you have know that ability to own your destiny and you know pave your path and i still you know hold that mindset as well i don't believe you know in self-limiting prophecies and things that nature but a paradigm shift i had was you know when you look at politics it impacts that and now i'm a little bit more you know empathetic to those kinds of factors because it does impact you know the way I look at the world and the way and even like your day-to-day living as well. So um, I think that's a point, you know, for people to, you know, kind of keep in mind.
0: Mm -hmm. And what is this division? Can you explain what does the division look like?
3: The division is partially that it's economic in the sense that uh, we've managed to chase out many of the middle-class industries. We see many companies, let's say like McKesson, Schwab, uh, Mitsubishi, Toyota, Nissan. Companies that employed lots of people at fairly high-wage jobs—they've disappeared. And manufacturers have left. Um, they had a good jobs. Construction has not come back significantly from where it, it was historically. Um, so what we've been doing is. Arthur, please stop it. Yeah.
2: So on that point, you know, as far as you know, because we have like the supply chain crisis going on, um, AB5 is a really infamous law that was, you know, authored by Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher. She's one of the California legislators and assembly women, um, and she's actually here based in San Diego. Um, so that's I agree with that point, you know, anything that has to do with like, you know, freelancers and manufacturers and like truckers like that, you know, that, you know, law got passed, I believe in like in 2019 2020. And it's still like a big point of contention amongst that community as well. And we're facing that. And now it's also impacting, you know, national wide as well because of like all that stuff happening from California. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, it, I mean, I, he talks a lot about the economy and um, I mean, that's obviously a big driver of it. The one thing I, I always think about California is that California has a good economy despite what it does. Um, and I think right now, Democrats like to take credit for, oh, we have this incredible economy. We, we, we've you know, our GDP is, I don't know what the GDP is right now. It's probably close to a trillion or something like that, or, or not, not trillion. It's probably close to a couple hundred billion, but it's, um, what I'm trying to say is it it thrives because of where it is and how nice California is. If you took California's policies and put them in a place like North Dakota, it would North Dakota would be dead. It'd be a wasteland. It'd be like, no one would want to go there. No one would set up business. I think it's it's despite these things. And it's almost like California itself is holding itself back from how good it could be. And it, it like you said, AB five is like a perfect example of why are you being so anti-economic freedom? Why are you not letting people make their own choices, do what they want to do, build their own careers, do that side hustle so they can maybe set up shop or do their own thing. Um, That's just stuff like that. They, and then they pat themselves on the back and they're like, Oh, we're doing such a good job because look at the economy in California. But is it because of the stuff you're doing or is it because California is just so nice that people want to be here? People set up shop here. There's a lot of money here. So
2: I agree. I think that's a good point that you made, too. And I've never heard that perspective. And you're right. I think part of it, why California can sweep these things under the rug. And I'm glad, you know, at least these kinds of things are coming to the surface because we can't avoid them any longer or at least the politicians can't hide them any longer. um, You know, is because, you know, in my opinion, I think it's because of how big the state is. So, you know, I think it's easy for things to get just swept under the rug for it.
1: Yeah
3: out the middle class job. So in the last 10 years, 80% of all the jobs created in California paid under the median income. And of those half paid under $40,000 a year. It is not possible in most of
0: California
3: to live decently
0: on $40,000 a year. The class that you mentioned that are doing okay, what right. is that class?
3: Well, I think there, there is, the, at the very top, or what I would call the oligarchs. Um, in the in the book that's coming out about feudalism, I talk about them as being really right now sort of the global elite. And and California, particularly the Bay Area, is the center of that. And then there's a uh, also significant class of people who bought their homes early, got in when the go- getting was good. You know, people like me. I bought my first house for one hundred fifty thousand dollars in Hollywood in nineteen eighty. And I've been able to ride that roller coaster and enjoy this tremendous prosperity that California had.
1: Now, of course, under uh, what Janet Yellen's unrealized gains idea, he's probably facing an enormous tax bill for that $150,000 house in Hollywood. Um, I thought it was interesting he mentioned feudalism because I always thought I was just like a conspiracy theorist about how I feel like society is regressing backwards when it comes to uh, the way society is structured. It feels like we're going back to a feudalist society where it's like you have your 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 upper class, which rules everything, they control everything, they own all the property and the business. Um, and then you just have all of us who are just the serfs who really were, were debt slaves. Uh, we have no opportunity for moving up or down. And that was sort of the, the revolutionary idea Back around the French Revolution, American Revolution was this idea of like upward mobility. Like that wasn't a thing back then. That you could go from being in the in the gutter to one day being rich and prosperous. And I feel like we're going backwards. Like now it's the rich are rich and they'll keep getting richer, and the middle class and poor are getting poorer and weaker here in California.
2: No, I agree. Um, I think it's it's a uh there's this really great movie i don't know if you've heard of it. it's called parasites this korean you know thriller um it's a little it's a bit much because it is in a different setting it's in a foreign country and like their politics are very very different but the concept and the idea that they propagate you know is chilling because it's reminiscent you know of that philosophy you shared which is like the rich stay rich and it seems like they're getting richer like for example like you know the most infamous politicians like Obama, Pelosi, like Bernie Sanders, like all these big names that you know people don't know politics. They know who these people are. They get they're getting richer, and I have no idea how and why. And then you look at you know, speaking for myself, like you know, or even just like anyone else in general, it's like I can understand like that feeling that people have, wondering like you know, I keep climbing the ceiling, and I don't feel like you know I'm getting anywhere. Um, mm-hmm that idea of like you know having those elitists and you know kind of how they pull the strings and then you know regular constituents like us you know we're kind of at the mercy of all that and it seems like you know that kind of law you know where it changes our day-to-day it seems like it's always shifting like every single minute and Mm -hmm. you know how there's so many issues of chilling speeches and you know Things of how we can make a difference you know it can get discouraging at times so i think he hits the nail on the head as far as you know that concept of you know fusionism Um, another point that you know i wanted to point out is you know about that that housing uh, situation like being able to buy a home Um, assemblyman kevin kiley he you know kind of always hits the nail on the head for this how there's different studies where you know people in our demographic like uh, millennials um you know there's different studies where you know people in our age group and even younger they look at their parents and basically that age group feels like you know they're not as better off, you know, in contrast to their parents. Um, And I think one of those things is because, you know, that ability to mobilize and move in different seasons of life. One being where buying a home is like, you know, that's like a huge milestone. It's like, you know, you get married, you have your own family, you start a legacy, and then, you know, being able to buy a home, that's like one of those like big milestones that people can have. And it's very important and it's personal. Um, So I think, you know, the idea of like the economy and being able to potentially get hindered on hitting one of those milestones is important to have.
1: Yeah, it's almost backwards now because people like this guy who I mean, he appears old enough. Maybe he is a grandfather. He's probably better off than like his grandkids because he bought a house at 150,000. He's realized his investment or his gains on that house but his kids could never buy that house probably in the position they are. In, unless they're all like Silicon tech people, but he, the, his kids or his grandkids are probably not in the position better than this guy right now. Um, so it's, it's interesting that i again, we're going backwards where the generations are not progressing. They're regressing back to where everyone's just renting and living in these apartments and high density areas. So it doesn't really feel like people own property in California anymore.
2: I agree. Even, um, you know, when it comes to that issue of like the income, you know, he was sharing in, you know, this interview, like if you make $40,000, which is like, you know, kind of our give or take, maybe like the average entry level job, depending on what your degree is or what you choose to do, like, you know, that's kind of like a basic, you know, income, you know, now, I can not imagine like living off of that, like right after you graduate school, after working so hard, um, and even then, like those high density urban areas like the Bay Area, like, yeah, you can make a lot of money. But that housing that's basically taking up all your salary and like imagine mm-hmm. out, like, the commuting and the gas and things of that nature, too.
1: Yeah.
3: So that really is um, the real. So the top tier, then you got this other tier, and then you've got a significant number of people, particularly public employees who have big pensions, can retire at 55, 60, um, can spend the next 20 or 30 years living better than people who made much more money before because they have uh, very comfortable pensions. Um, And in many cases, they sell their homes, move to North Carolina where their pensions make them almost rich. So, those have been the really the beneficiaries i uh, the system would not work if there weren't enough people benefiting from it Um,
1: that that's always that's like the elephant in the room when it comes to california no one ever seems to be talking about that we're a trillion dollars in pension debts that we the california just has no idea how they're going to pay but you have because the government gets bloated and bloated and they keep expanding and making bigger bigger you have more and more people who are signing up to be government employees and they're all sitting there with their hands out going, well, I, I was a good government employee. I worked for the state for how many years? Now, where's my pension? So I think that's going to be a ticking time bomb that nobody in California really ever talks about. And I, I know the Democrats certainly don't want to talk about it. Um, maybe they hope there'll be a Republican governor or something the day it all kind of comes crashing down and they can blame it on Republicans, but um, yeah, I and mean, there's there's a lot of state employees who also live pretty high on the hog, um, just based off taxpayers and the enormous bureaucracy of our state.
2: Yeah, and even just like you know regular day-to-day discussion, like you know typically people have like a regular like um, you know full-time you know their regular employees, not discussing like business owners or freelancers or things of that nature. You know, there's always. know if you're fortunate if you're blessed you have like you know the health care you have the dental care and then you have like the vision care and then you have like those retirement benefits like i don't there's not a lot of like discussion in regards to like you know the pension at least you know in my day-to-day um because that's always kind of like a like an old school kind of talk that you know people have it's like you know an unspoken thing but it's also Mm -hmm. kind of like you know one of those things where it's really out of the reach or just not even the discussion because you know people like are not probably getting it, which is pretty sad.
1: And it could also be a, a result of like this guy saying, a lot of the middle-class manufacturing jobs that used to be here are now gone. So the best middle-class job that you could get used to be, you could go work at a manufacturing plant. Maybe you were part of a union, there was a pension, but that was still a private company and it was still a private manufacturing company but now it's people are looking for that style of job and the only people who are really providing it is the government at this point because businesses are leaving at such a high rate there are no good middle class jobs with possibility for retirement and benefits like that anymore
2: Agree.
0: And what percentage do you see is are those people could, could you would, would there be an estimate
3: you know i the best estimate i could see is about 30 percent maybe 25 to 30 percent this top group of course is very small Um, and it's also divided by age if if you're if you came to California I came in um, in 71 um, or if you were born here and you're over 50 your chances of being prosperous are infinitely better so that home ownership for instance for Millennials in California is much below the national average why is that? Well, the major problem is the cost. The cost of housing in California are extraordinarily high. We're talking about a median multiple, which is a relationship between house price and, and median income of something around nine, eight, nine. Historically, it was three. Mm-hmm. In Dallas, it's, it's a little over three. In Houston, it's a little over three. In Indianapolis, it's even under three. So basically, at the same income, you basically pay about three times as much for a house in California. Now, why did that happen? It starts off with a lot of regulatory um, issues, very hard to get approvals. You know, if you're doing a development and it's gonna take you 20 years to get through the process, well, that raises your costs. Then you have all the environmental regulations, you have with the California Environmental Quality Act, where you could literally be, be sued by people who don't even in some cases even have to name, give their name over any objection.
1: So again, that goes back to this idea that California does well, despite all of its regulations and bureaucracy. Like there's obviously a demand for these houses to be this expensive. Otherwise they wouldn't be that expensive and people wouldn't be buying them. Um, if they were selling these houses here in San Diego for a range of seven to $900,000 and no one was buying them, well then obviously the prices would come down. That's just basic economics. But the fact that the only the people who can really afford those are the Uber wealthy then trickles into the income inequality. But it's still, the economy not doing good or well because of what Democrats put forward and all these regulations it's doing well because there's people who want to buy those houses. They want to buy the million dollar house in La Jolla. They don't mind spending a million dollars to live here in Pacific beach. Um, even though it's not the greatest area in the world, they'll still spend a million dollars to live in Pacific beach. Cause they are a couple blocks from the ocean. Um, but it, you know, it's just, it, it seems like California could be doing a lot better if they, they got rid of all this stuff, made it more affordable, more like open to the middle class. But, it's still trudging along despite all of these regulations and how bad it is. I agree. So the system is
3: really, makes it very, very difficult to build housing. And the great irony is progressives who created the system have cre- created a system where only basically high-end housing can be built. Expensive apartments um, and, of course, very expensive homes. I mean, if you go, let's say, to your Belinda, um, you go to some of the other communities in, in California, you'll see they're building million-dollar houses, million and a half um, houses. Even in places like the San Joaquin Valley and uh, Inland Empire, you really can't build a house profitably for less than five or six hundred thousand dollars. Well, that excludes the vast majority of people who could, you know, who could afford it, and that certainly those who work in the Inland Empire have little chance.
0: Now you mentioned, we mentioned the housing. How about the jobs? Well, what we've been
3: doing is we used to have in here in California, I'm old enough to remember we had an incredibly diversified economy, strong agriculture, big construction, manufacturing of all kinds, huge aerospace industry. And of course, entertainment and technology. Um, so we had a lot of, of vibrant and relatively high paying jobs being produced. Uh, now, our economy, entertainment's kind of flat. Um, tech has grown, but it um, but that seems to be beginning to slow down a bit. But aerospace has declined precipitously. Um, some of it is the space industry is doing a little bit better than than the aircraft. Um, you have lots of, of, of uh, manufacturing companies that have left. And you've lost a lot of professional business service jobs, which is the largest group of high wage jobs and that's when again when the mckesson leaves san francisco and it takes really good jobs you know
1: I mean, we're still seeing that now with tesla's gone oracle is gone um just a lot of these companies are not here anymore aerospace is gone i mean yeah the military is still here in san diego and a lot of parts of california san diego still thrives on the fact that there is a huge military presence but again that's federal money that's government money that's not private enterprise like it was before and those jobs just they're, they're not here anymore and if california just basically threw off its shackles and allowed agriculture to thrive if allowed aerospace to thrive if it allowed all these different nuclear energy to thrive, I mean, how much better of a place would California be in right now if they were allowed to just let those things thrive?
2: I agree, and to your point, also, it's this isn't necessarily like a small family business; it's a franchise. But I was reading this article that the normally private um, owner of In n Out she had a meeting with Ron DeSantis from Florida, so. You know there's no confirmed news at all but you know there was a discussion of maybe moving like headquarters to florida in that meeting um mm-hmm. but you know basically i can anticipate you know more and more of those businesses are at least being open-minded to exploring options outside of state even like you know in political circles the daily wire like they they were your household name here in california and then they moved their headquarters to nashville tennessee um And, you know, so I can only imagine like, you know, these kinds of things and big moves. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if we heard, you know, some other big household names, you know, moving out as well.
1: Uh, In and Out was a shocker. That was one that I was like, man, if if California loses In and Out, I mean, how (laughs) bad, how bad could it be get? When you lose In and Out, which is a California staple, people come to California to have, and the first thing they want to do is have an In and Out burger. And if it's gone, it moves to Florida. You're like, okay, how bad is it? Maybe people will start to wake up when they lose in and out. I don't know, Like, I know. is that what it's gonna take is like, maybe if we just <laughs> take people's burgers away, if we take their animal <laughs> style away, people will finally wake up like this is how bad it is. And he brought up entertainment and I was like, yeah. Uh, I mean, every movie I see now, has at the end of the credits because everybody's got to wait through the credits now there's always a post credit scene for something and it always has filmed in Georgia you know all of hollywood has basically moved to georgia because it was more business friendly there's not much really filmed in burbank or los angeles anymore maybe some sitcoms and stuff like that but even then like there's a lot of entertainment that was a big draw in california is gone as well so
2: and you know to kind of shift points as well you kind of talked about how the rule like the agricultural community and like the farmers and how you know if only california you know had policies that impacted them policy more we'd be in a better state as well um and it is unfortunate that you know those farmers you know always seem to get the short end of the stick when it comes to policy um because i think Similar to like, maybe we need to lose in and out for people to wake up. You know, yeah. what if we need those food shortages, you know, to start appreciating our farmers? Because we don't, as consumers, realize short term, like, hey, like, you know, if we don't help the farmers as far as policies are concerned, we might not realize it. Um, but our farmers are the reasons why we have milk in the grocery stores and all of our food. So, you know, yeah. I don't know what we'll need, you know, to, for people to kind of wake up
1: yeah it's uh it's like nobody realizes how much they need toilet paper until there's a run-on toilet paper and no one can find toilet paper anywhere um there's another point i was gonna make oh i don't know if you've had a chance to watch jorge ventura's new documentary um I did about well he brought up there someone or at least someone in that in the documentary brought up how they can't grow anything in the antelope valley because they're siphoning so much water to these illegal marijuana grows which i mean that's a whole nother thing um and i i hope he comes on i i can chat with him about it um but the way they were like oh we can't grow our peach trees we had all this stuff that we used to grow in antelope valley and it's like now it's just the desert and it's like they used to grow stuff in antelope valley but now they can't grow anything in antelope valley and that's just stuff that like california the spite itself somehow screws that up. Like there's a a whole opportunity there and they're like, not, we're going to screw this up as well. And there's this whole plot of land that we could grow more stuff, but we don't want to grow more stuff because we're rationing water or whatever. Um, But I thought that was pretty interesting. I was like, Oh wow. I thought it was just the San Joaquin Valley, but there's other areas where they can grow stuff as well. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: If you make, let's say $150,000 as a household, um, in Dallas, you get a beautiful house. You can live in a good school district. Um, and, of course, you're not paying state income tax. If you're in California with the same income, housing, you probably don't, can't afford decent housing. You certainly can't afford decent housing in a good neighborhood with decent schools. So the odds are harder. So California, which I think is, in many ways, the most ideal place to live in many, in many ways, is becoming increasingly difficult particularly for the poor, particularly for the middle class, particularly for families, and most particularly for people under the age of 40.
1: So I'm going to make this point. I know you have some expertise in this. He brings up how people who make 150000 as a household can't live in good school districts. Um, do you think that will give rise, and I'm sure you know where this is going, to more parents looking at school choice like private schools, like a religious school or a Catholic school, um, because they've just been so priced out of all the good districts where they could live and and bring their kids to a good public school. They're like, well, I wanna put my kids in a good school, but I can't afford to live in this area. So what's my only choice is to figure out, can I send them to a private school? Um, Will that be like a silver lining is that parents may say like, Maybe I want to have more idea, more independence for school choice.
2: Absolutely. You know, on that topic as well, um, there's has always been some kind of like some brewing desire to have those options available in California, whether that's an education savings account, where that philosophy of funding students instead of systems um, and having that money follow the child instead of it going into like, you know, the institution and the government schools itself. Um, that's always been kind of like a brewing desire for Californians and that demand has been growing intensively, you know, in the African-American community, in the Latino community in California, like more than 50%. You know, I've wanted that. Um, I think that desire of having vouchers where, you know, if that school district in your community is not performing up to par um, and as a parent, you want what's best for your child and you understand that, you know, education is the forefront You know if just by definition if your child can get the best that they possibly can the parent will do anything in their power and even will go beyond their own power you know to make that happen Um, i think parents are are willing to do that even if that means like commuting you know 30 minutes or an hour you know if that means putting their child in a better school i think parents should have that opportunity and i think even like they do anything for it like bar none
1: and hopefully we see, you know, if this uh, proposition passes next year, hopefully we see maybe more schools popping up in areas where it gives people that choice so that they don't have to go to the public school. But, um, yeah, I, th- I just thought that was interesting that you said, well, you can't afford in Dallas, you could afford to send your kids if you made one hundred and fifty thousand a household to the best school district in California, it's one hundred fifty thousand. It's probably going to be like just an okay school district, Um, so that may that may change people's perception about school choice coming up next year.
2: And I'll just make one more point before we move on. Um, You know, on that discussion of government schools, because I know it's probably like the number one, you know, counter argument. So while I have the opportunity, I'll just kind of share that. It does require a paradigm shift, you know, when it comes to the issue of school choice, because a lot of people think, you know, it's tacking teachers or you or things of that nature. Um, it's not, you know, the philosophy of funding students and systems, like it requires a paradigm shift. You know, the best way that I could describe it is, you know, that money really should be in the hands of the parents and be funding the student and not the system. Um, my philosophy is we really should be putting our families over any kind of institution. Out there, so family over institutions, and that money doesn't belong to the government schools. And mm-hmm. you know, the bo- the best you know analogy that I could give that Cory DeAngelis which is you know really big thought leader in the school choice community and movement. Um, the best analogy that I could give is giving people the opportunity and choice to pick which Walmart to go to and which grocery store to go to is not stealing, you know, from that money. You know, basically, you know, having those those options and giving people the opportunity to choose what they do with that money is not stealing from that institution. So, you know, that's the best you know analogy that you know I could give for school choice. You know, because that discussion of you know the school districts and kind of like that distribution, um, school choice you know is a positive thing, and you know we should we should be putting you know our families over institutions.
0: Yeah, agreed and how did we end up here?
3: Well, I think part of it is that we, there are different things that were going on. One, the tech firms all decided to concentrate in one place instead of spreading jobs out, which is what they had done before in, in the history of Silicon Valley. It was expanding, expanding, expanding. Now they've concentrated, particularly in San Francisco, which is kind of a, you know, sort of a, a hipster dystopia. Um, but but so you, you, you had that. You, you had a state government that did not really care about middle-class jobs leaving, so that, that created um, a lot of this. Um, and I think you have a regulatory environment that chases people and companies away, so people don't come in and invest. I think California got the seventh most investment of any, uh, of any state in the last couple of years, and it's the largest state by far. You would think that it would be incredibly tempting. It's only people with surplus money are throwing money into california now and that's mostly uh chinese and of course that's now slowing down as well which is going to cause a very interesting situation friends of mine who work in real estate say that 70 80 percent of the new houses in parts of irvine and tustin are going to overseas chinese
1: so i had had uh a guest on months back uh jason who had who is an expert on Chinese politics. And we discussed this exact thing and he was talking about how the state government kind of allowed the Chinese to come in and invest a lot of money. And one of the the sort of physical uh, visualization or physical materializations that you can see is if you look at downtown LA right now, they're building all these beautiful skyscrapers and these high apartments and stuff like that, but no one in LA can really afford to live there and there's not that many people. So, But it's just them dumping money into the economy and buying up land and, and paying 20, 30, 40% above market value. And he had also brought up how state government really hadn't cared about middle-class jobs leaving And the state government could have been a little bit tighter on that sort of stuff and and more protectionist. I don't think they want it to maybe because a lot of politicians in Sacramento are benefiting from that. Maybe they have lobbyists who are pushing for this, but that's, that's going to be an issue coming up soon too, is that there's going to be these ghost towns of Chinese investment that we didn't foresee or we just let happen. Um, and no one's going to be living there. It's just going to be big, empty, beautiful apartment buildings.
2: No, definitely.
3: Now, the problem is these overseas Chinese can't even come visit their properties right now. Mm. So, I mean, they're, they you know, we, we've got a terribly in, um, imbalanced economy and then you have, you know, such things as poor schools, uh, which means middle-class people feel they have to send their kids to private school. Um, obviously the high housing prices, high taxes. So what we're seeing is a growing migration out of California. And what's really interesting and has not been really reported is foreign immigration has, has slowed down. Actually, LA County is now getting fewer immigrants than it did
0: before. I see.
3: Because you know what, immigrants aren't stupid. I mean, they know that unless they have a lot of money, California is a very difficult place to live.
0: Now, going back to this division, Between these two groups, you mentioned there is the elite group and the people that are doing fine. There's about twenty five thirty percent, guesstimated, and the other seventy percent. Why do you think the majority are supporting this ideology if 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 they're hurting them? It's a
3: very good question. I think there are several things. One, the Republican Party in in California is a joke. Uh, It's it's just it has
1: perhaps permanent
3: brain damage. I'm not. I I
1: I mean anyone who tunes into the show knows I spent a lot of time harping on how bad the California Republican party is, but he's right. I mean, it's just that there's no legitimate opposition party in California. And that's one big issue is that there's nobody holding Democrats feet to the fire in in California. And uh, you know, if I see one more tweet from Jessica Milan Patterson complaining and not offering solutions, I, I, I don't know, I'm going to send like a nasty letter or something. I don't know what else I could do, but (laughs) not to give her money. But it's just like it gets so frustrating that you don't have an opposition party here in California.
2: Yeah. And, you know, to kind of, you know, go a little bit backward because he talked about, you know, immigration, you know, being in California, we are a southern border state, meaning, you know, we, you know, in San Diego in particular, you know, we live like you know, we're right by Mexico, Tijuana. Um, So that, you know, discussion of like, you know, the immigration going on in our southern border is always kind of a point of discussion. Um, To be honest, I don't know too much about, you know, what's going on in our California border. I know that it can be better though. Like I know the walls aren't, you know, the greatest, Um, but that's been, you know, as far as where the coming in, um, and I would say actually more illegal aliens, but they're coming from Texas, and you know one of my organizations, Latinos for America First, where I'm a volunteer for um, Jorge Ventura, who you mentioned, who came out with a new documentary about the, you know, the cartels here in California, um, and then you know Anthony Cabasa from um, El American, and then you know one of our volunteers, um, Anthony Aguero, for Latinos for America First, they do a lot of investigative reporting investigative reporting at the Southern Borders in Texas. Um, and you have to wonder, like, OK, there's this, you know, obviously, Texas has their own set of politics that I don't want to get into on why they're going there and not here in California. But you kind of have to ask yourself, like, why would they go there and not here in California when we're technically a southern border seat, too?
1: Yeah, it's uh, and, and talking about being on the southern border, we go down to THA every once in a while. Um, cause my wife grew up down there and, and she has family. So we go down and visit and there's, you know, good restaurants down TJ and it's a lot more affordable to go to a really nice restaurant. TJ than it is here in San Diego. And I'd, I'd be interested to see because there's so much growth in TJ of nice apartment buildings, which are completely catered towards those who work in San Diego, but want to live in TJ where they can afford A condo for three hundred thousand dollars and it's like they're living at the ritz carlton um but you're living in tj however it doesn't change the fact that you can afford a lot more in tj it'd be interesting to see what kind of migration is happening from like san diego county into tj which i know is now a problem for tj because i was talking to our cousin down there and he was saying how now americans who are living in tj are pricing out people living in TJ because they're paying way too much for property down there, which is driving up all the property prices in TJ. So California is now spilling over its problems into TJ because it's making property too expensive down there. Maybe not to Americans, but people who live in TJ is too expensive.
2: Yeah. And you know, to your point as well, um, I was born and raised here in San Diego. I went to Chula Vista High School, which is a school where Mario Lopez went to. So that's always like my bragging point there. Um, But you know, that being said, you know, Chula Vista High School was primarily Hispanic. And I had a lot of classmates growing up who, you know, lived in TJ, and they commuted every single day, you know, to school every day. And I, you know, it always would boggle my mind like, oh my gosh, why would you do that? And then the biggest thing they would tell me is just because of like the housing, it's expensive and whatnot. So they're willing to make those choices to do that, you know, for an education. But, you know, you do have to ask yourself like, why can't they just live here? And you, yeah. know, and to point, you know, it's because of California politics. Um, to kind of shift gears to talk about, you know, the Republican party, um, I, I laughed pretty hard when I heard that. Um, but you know, if anyone follows me on my social media, you know my name's Cynthia Cowie. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. So Twitter's where I'm the most political, and that's where I kind of let my wings fly. Um, but I've tweeted out a few times, kind of to harping on this point, where you know, as far as like what the GOP and what we can do to improve our platform in the Republican Party. You know, I have spent, I've spent, you know, well. I've always used to when it came to like the messaging or like kind of like how to make us better, you know, was always like that what you discuss, you know, always being on offense instead of defense. Um, and so I have significantly spent now less and maybe like zero percent, you know, attacking like Democrats or even those people and really trying to home- You know our own side and our own party and being constructive about it because you know a lot of it can be you know a little bit unproductive and you know because i'm 100 convinced that i feel like republicans we you know destroy our own side more than the democrats actually destroy us at times um but you know like you know i'm kind of also at that point where i don't want to jade myself too much to the point to where like you know regardless of you know, to the point that where we're at, it's unfortunate that we had to hit this bottom and we're at this point because we didn't have the opposition party, but I am optimistic and hopeful that like, hey, maybe we can change, you know, I'm willing to forgive and forget why are we at this point now, but are we willing to own up to where we are right now and, you know, shift gears now, because at this point, like, if we lose in and out or some other places, I don't know what's gonna take for the GOP and you know the Republicans to get their act together so we can be on offense.
1: Well, I'm sure Jessica Milan Patterson has a, a clever tweet. If we lose in and out already prepared for us, not offering solutions, just complaining about why she can't get her in and out anymore or something like that. Uh, but we could do a whole different show about what, what's wrong with the California GOP. Um, I could probably do several shows. In fact, I do a lot of shows just talking about how bad the California GOP is. Um, so
2: And I'd be happy to going. come on and have a discussion with
1: you. I'm sure we could have plenty of discussions about it. Could have a whole round table, so
3: not sure if they'll ever recover. They they still don't get the point that running around defending Donald Trump is not good politics in California. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that the immigrants are the ones who probably should be the most supportive of a more moderate or conservative.
1: And I just want to stop real quick there. Yes. 100%. I don't think running around defending Donald Trump, Donald Trump is toxic in California. You just need to get off the Donald Trump train here in California, as much as people want to pretend like uh, that we, we, we didn't go conservative enough. That was the problem. We all need to embrace Trump more in California or that Trump really won California in 2020 that's my favorite is when people are like Trump probably won California we just, you know, the fix was in and cheating and mail-in ballots and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, the, 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 they need to dump, dump the Trump in here in California, which I know probably angers a lot of people.
2: And, you know, to your point as well, um, you know, when it comes to, candidates running in california because we have redistricting going on um you know whether that's you know assembly or you know the u.s senate uh congress u.s house of representatives um and california senators as well or even school boards um you know focusing on those issues you know are what people are looking for um you know i know that you know whatever's happening like at capitol hill is a lot but you know unless you're running for you know, US House Representatives, that's not very relevant to what your mm-hmm. potential constituents are. So it's it's okay to have those personal positions and, you know, have certain kind of um, opinions on, you know, cultural and political commentary. But, you know, I highly recommend, you know, as someone who's trying to be a political strategist, you know, for candidates, you know, it's okay to have those opinions about whether you like Trump or not, or things of that nature. But you know, when it comes to your voters, um, those aren't the questions that they're asking you. Um, At least people that are serious, they're not going to be asking you who you voted for. I think they're more interested in like, you know, if you're running for state assembly, I think they're curious about how would you vote on certain things and things of that nature.
1: Yeah.
3: ...kind of politics. Um, And at the same time within the Democratic Party, and I've been a Democrat most of my life, If you're a moderate pro-business democrat who wants to see people buy homes and improve their lives
1: and like a kevin paferath
3: you you have people like tom steyer who are going to pour millions of dollars to make sure you don't get elected i mean so you've got people like you've got the the greens and the public employees those are the people pushing this now ultimately the public employees will face a crisis when the economy slows because these pensions are not sustainable. But until that happens, they still think somehow we can keep raising taxes, raising taxes, raising taxes, increasing regulations, and there'll still be money around. But actually, as you know, California has about a trillion dollars in pension debt. Um, It's not going to last in the long run. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that the the social ramifications, we can see. Look what's happening. Go to downtown LA or San Francisco it's like something out of a dystopia from, from the dark ages. I mean, it is incredible. I mean, I go to third world countries and I don't see something quite as horrible sometimes as what I see here. There's great poverty, but the insanity, the people who are, you know, clearly, you know, deranged in one way or another um, and they're and we allow them to camp out on our streets. I can tell you, Whatever we might think about the Chinese regime or the Russian regime, certainly the Chinese regime, they would never allow that to happen.
1: Um, first off, it looked like he was like choking on a burp that he had to let out there for a minute. Um, but I, I, it, this, I think this changes if you you don't know he's a Democrat until you get about all the way through this video and go, "Oh, okay, he's a Democrat." Um, but he's a moderate Democrat, I guess because he's very critical of how California is. Uh, I, I would be interested to see, you know, and that, that's something maybe the California Republican party has to start doing is reaching out to disenfranchised moderate Democrats like this guy, like a lot of Democrats who maybe woke up during COVID about how bad things were. Um, because he is right. There is no place for a moderate pro business Democrat anywhere in California, democratic party. It's all about social issues. It's all about social justice. It's all about, um, the environment and stuff like that. It's not about like business or anything like that.
2: No, I agree. Um, I think also COVID did wake up a lot of people. I think you got to see even people like on Twitter, you know, I follow, I follow a lot of, you know, Great parents, a lot of parent unions, a lot of great groups, you know, in regards to education, you know, and anything that's to do with, like, the the medical fight, um, you know, that was kind of like a turning key for a lot of people. Like, there's even parents that were very, you know, on the side of, like, the, the status who, you know, obviously were in favor of, like, the lockdowns or anything of that nature and then they kind of woke up and you know they really you know took a 360 degree change on that Um, and you know to your point as far as like how to reach out to those people as well um, you know because I've done a lot of digging about you know ways to empower people to run for office and also educate people on how we can help those people running for office you know if they decide not to run you know how we can help those people who feel called to do so Um, and as far as like what i give democrats a lot of favor is um, i mean on the gop side i know they are doing great work right now but you know for you know the democrats side you know one of my friends who ran for state assembly a a couple years ago um she sent me it's called runforsomething.net. and she told me how you know she ran as a republican for state assembly and um she said that the democrats actually reached out to her to help her um and so I so I'm not, I don't know, like, you know, on the Republican side, if that has been done. And if so, people can let me know so I can, you know, educate myself and correct myself. But, you know, if the other side can do it, why don't we do it too? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that, you know, would be open minded to, you know, running different platforms. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. I just thought that I should throw that out there because basically yeah. our side could do that because the other side did it for our side.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I think that's just, you know the the california gop and how they they get stuck in their ways and they just don't they don't want to like expand their mind too much because they're afraid of like well if we try anything different or we try anything new then we might alienate this five percent of the voter role that is super conservative when in reality that five percent is not winning you any elections anytime soon but um they gotta try something because right now whatever they're doing is not working so I think there's an opportunity with a lot of moderate Democrats, probably independents as well, who are looking for an actual platform. Um, And I say this. Plenty of times I say, you know, I always bring up the Republicans because they have the infrastructure, they have the money, they have the connections. But if it were like the Libertarian Party all of a sudden got its act together and became the opposition party, I'd probably be fine with that, too. It's just there's got to be some opposition here in California. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, one party rules It's not clearly not working here in California. And the one question I always tell people if you to ask is if Democrats have all the solutions, why is California not an absolute utopia? they have control of everything. So why is California not a utopia? Why have you not achieved all of your democratic ideals? Why is it not everything you've been touting for so long that you think are the solutions to every ill of our society? How come we're not a perfect utopia? You know,
2: agreed. Because and there's someone and there's a candidate running for, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: No, no, you go ahead
2: oh um, uh basically there's a candidate running for a state controller uh i think the recall the california recall for governor newsom i think it opened the door for people to start having discussions on you know statewide elections like the board of you know equalization um you know the lieutenant governor the attorney general you know and you know the secretary of state things of that nature and the treasurer um and there's this really important statewide position Uh, called State Controller, and Lanny Chan, who did a really great fundraising quarter, I think so far, he he launched his campaign, you know, sometime this year, and he's already fundraised more than a million dollars, which is really impressive, especially for someone running for, you know, a position that, you know, a lot of people don't know of, like, even I think even I would argue even people that are political geeks might not even know what a state controller does. But, you know, he did a podcast kind of sharing more about, you know, the one party rule and you know he drives that point which you know affirms your opinion as well which is like the democrats have had decades long power you know all this time and you have to ask yourself like why is that and you know in addition to that you know if we're doing so great you know why is that like they don't the democrats don't have an excuse or justification
1: yeah I mean, they can't legitimately blame anything on Republicans because Republicans are such a small minority of both chambers of the legislature. They haven't held uh, the governor's mansion in how many years. So they can't be like, oh, it's, you know, it's those darn Republicans screwing it up. Republicans don't have power over anything. So the only people who have power over stuff is you. And it's we're certainly not a utopia. So, you know, you should be able to ramrod everything through that you want um but you, you, i don't know uh we got a couple minutes left i don't want to take up too much of your time um and then we got we'll, we'll wrap this up before no we got a couple more minutes so we'll wrap it up soon
3: i've been to where poor people live in china we live way out of town i'm not suggesting that that's what we want to see but we we have to be very clear that a society cannot allow this kind of behavior. And what's weird is this, the state wants everybody to go and work in the central core, but the central core is basically become dystopic. And so you know, certainly nobody with a family is going to want to live in, in San Francisco unless they're so rich that they can get their way um, out of it. You know, there are more dogs and kids in San Francisco. There are more drug addicts than, than, um, than there are high school students. This is this is the role model for the rest of the country. I don't
0: think so. What do you recommend for our audience to do?
3: Well, I think what we need in California, and this is not partisan, we need to become more critical of the current regime. Whether you're a Democrat, support the Democrats who are pragmatic and and pro-business and and middle class oriented. try to get the Republican party to get its act together, which of course may be asking too much, but, but you know, to get the Republicans to say stop worrying about these social issues and all this bravado and, and focus on the economic issues. Cause there are many Latinos, African Americans, and obviously Asians and whites all middle-class people who can be reached on the basis of this isn't working. You know, when I talked to my class, 36 kids, and I asked him, how many are you going to stay in California? Four. That never would have happened 20 years ago. Why would anyone want to leave California with great weather, beautiful topography, all sorts of culture, great food, all this stuff that is really unique to California? It takes policy genius of some diabolical sort,
0: sort to push people out of California. Well, with that, thank you so much. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah uh i mean he hammers at home again about the republicans uh you know the social issues and and the bravado and and the economic and uh he was gonna say something i com- completely forgot so if you have anything to say hopping because i was just gonna say something i completely forgot now i'm trying sure to remember
2: sure um so when it comes to like the social issues um when I think what you know the guy what the professor was saying and you know what we're talking about when we say social issues like you know things with religion you know the pro-life issue like thinking that's extremely controversial like when it comes to that you know the lgbt issues like that's what we mean i just want to clarify for you know the viewers and the people watching this podcast you know that's what we mean when we say social issues mm-hmm. um and then you know of course when it comes to like the the contrast you know there's other issues people can you know debate on which is like the economic side and some other things as well um which you know i would argue that the republicans even if someone isn't apolitical republicans have always been the party that are for Less regulations for business owners, lower taxes, you know, they're very fiscally conservative of that, you know, when it they get kind of any kind of bills or things of that nature, if it's raising money, you know, ninety nine percent of the time they're usually voting no for it. Um, so that's what we mean by like social issues. And, you know, for people that you know, they hear like, oh, like how can you be a conservative Republican in California and not have that? Like, like I've shared before, like, you know, depending on what you choose to run for. If you choose to run for office or things of that nature, or when you're having these discussions with people, maybe on a one-on-one or like in a round table or group basis, like it's okay to have those convictions of yours, it's okay to have those opinions. Um, You just kind of need to pick and choose your battles on what you can win or not. Like for example, let's say I was running for state assembly right now in California for California politics, we do have a Democrat supermajority, meaning that in the legislature, there's two thirds. know if you look at these people's voting records on democrat side they're not voting for conservative social issues they're voting no they're not offering bills or things that nature so let's say if you're a republican running for that and you are someone that you know has conservative social issues it's okay to say like you know i'm a christian or things that nature so if there's any kind of bill that has to do with those issues you can count my vote that i'm voting yes for it. However, you know, my platform, that's not a program. My, my platform is focused on the economy. My platform is focused on, you know, other things that are important for the district, things of that nature. So if you're a conservative Republican in California, it's okay to have those issues. But I would argue if you're a candidate or even if you're someone there, depending on your situation, I don't know if you'll change people's minds on that regard, but that's just my observation.
1: Yeah. The thing I, I remember I was going to say, because he was talking about society and, and how it's kind of breaking down, um, especially in like a lot of these inner cities. I was reading an article today on, uh, on Breitbart that said the LAPD is now telling citizens to just comply and cooperate with robbers in Los Angeles like if someone's committing a robbery don't fight back just just let it happen cooperate with them and comply and then you'll be a good witness when we have to go find them um and i just thought to myself i was like this is how bad it's gotten this is how bad it's gotten in places like la (laughs) that they're just like yeah just let the you know, just, why don't you just work with the criminal? Just let them do what they need to do. And maybe the police will come and like, take care of it later. It's like, why aren't we focused on the issue of like, why is this happening? Why is it so bad in California? (laughs) And they admit in the article LAPD LAPD was, yeah, it's like, they admit like, we know it's really bad and that there's a lot more robberies and crimes being committed. So just, you know, just work with them, just comply and work with them. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's what this guy's talking about is it's just society has gotten bad in California where shoplifting is out of control. Robberies are obviously out of control. It's just drug use is is out of control. Um, And California just takes a a soft stance on it. So I don't know if that's like maybe that's a winning issue for another candidate is to be like, I'm going to be tough on on this sort of lawlessness of like, you know, we live in a society and you have to be a part of society and you know, this is unacceptable what's happening. So we are, our hearts go out to people who are struggling, but we also live in a society where people have to conduct themselves a certain way.
2: Agreed. And I apologize for, you know, interrupting while you're talking as well, but I was just going to add that San Francisco, I saw the same article, but it was in San Francisco too. Like if that happens, just comply. Um, but I do yeah. think that's an area of opportunity where hey, maybe if a Republican, maybe you can't be like, you know, so gung ho about like a social issue campaign, but that's something you'd be extremely like convicted about, like no compromise, no being by person, no meeting in the middle, like no, like law and order this is the law, it is what it is, and have a very hard stance about that. So, you know, if you can't be so hardcore about the social issues, I think those kitchen table issues, you can get away with being like, you know, more to the right, or I guess have like that more like hardcore, Republican, conservative stance, I guess, if we're gonna, you know, put in those terms.
1: Yeah, it it could be a way to get that, that, if you're talking about socially, conservative kind of stance of like um you know we we can be empathetic and help it's kind of like a carrot in the stick approach of like well we want to help people we're going to give them plenty of ways to get help and stuff like that but it doesn't give you the right to rob people or break into cars or all these petty crimes um that's just that's not acceptable like you have one choice or the other. You can you can get the help that we want to provide you, but if you're gonna be lawless in cities and stuff like that, you're still gonna pay the consequences for it. So it could be it could be a a plank for conservatives moving forward in California. Um, all right, so it's it's been about well it's been over an hour that you know a 16 minute video. We had a lot to talk about. Um, so I don't want to take up any more of your time. It's already gone on long enough. But did you have any final thoughts? on the interview um and then also where can people find you if they want to read more of your your stuff and and your insights
2: thank you and you know i had a great time it's always i feel like we can go on on about these kinds of things so thank you again i think we had a productive conversation regarding the interview Um, i think you know the professor and epic times is a great resource and i thought the interview was a great opportunity to kind of see in the inside of someone who is a democrat because it's always like even like on twitter i follow you know journalists and reporters who you can kind of tell off of their publications they lean more to the right but it is important to kind of see like what the other side like how they view our side too because it can you know help iron sharpens iron so you know i think that's good um, so people can follow me, Cynthia Cowie. So, you know, it's C Y N T H I A. And my last name is Cowie K A U I. So it's, you know, right there. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I have a lot of lifestyle content. Um, and I post politics here on there. You know, we have, you know, the primaries coming in June and, you know, the, the midterms coming up next year and you know i'm pretty active in our san diego republican party and looking to get involved more with the california gop and you know helping different candidates so definitely when election season's coming you know you'll see different candidates i support and things of that nature um but if you want to follow me for political commentary um along with different things that you know i share that i find important you can follow me on twitter and you can just type in my name cynthia cowie as well um and you know, as I mentioned, I'm a volunteer for Latinos for America first. So if you want to look us up, we're going to be endorsing candidates um, on the federal level. But here in California locally, I'm a volunteer for Californians for School Choice. We have a ballot initiative where we are creating an amendment to the California Constitution. So we can have so every child in California can have an education savings account. So basically, we bring school choice to California.
1: I think we broke up a little bit. I think we might have broke up. And you might have lost it Oh, Did we lose you for a little bit?
2: I think we did. I'm sorry. Do you remember the last thing that I said?
1: Uh, you're talking about educational savings accounts for prop.
2: Okay, cool. I apologize. That was a little embarrassing. Um, yeah. So basically, California's for school choice, uh, creating an amendment. We have a ballot initiative to sab- every child in California have an education savings account. So our website is CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org on Twitter. It's school choice. And then the number is 2-2 for school choice 22. And then on San Diego, we have a county Instagram and that's School Choice San Diego. Um, but other than that, you know, thank you Phil. Um, I appreciate you having me on and I'm happy to come back anytime.
1: Awesome. yep, very busy. So uh, thank you for coming on. Um, and everyone, we'll, we'll be keeping on this schedule again soon uh, Thursdays at 8 pm. Uh, we'll be doing these live podcasts and as always, coffee and California politics every Wednesday at 9 am and uh yeah have a good night everyone we'll see you on the next one later